Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about faith and ministry here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. Man, we haven't done this in a while, huh? It's it's been like it's been a minute. At least at least I a think few that's weeks. The language, right? A minute. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what the kids are saying. Hey, uh, we've got someone really uh, special to you, Josh. Um, uh, yeah, you introduce her, um, Jennifer Evans. Jennifer, thanks for being on the on the show. Jennifer and I go way back, um, probably before I remember, um, but we were neighbors growing up, mm-hmm. and uh, so I met Jennifer. Oh, I can't, I can't even remember. Um, I do, I do remember. I have a vague memory of like going over to your house and cause I invited your John, your older brother, um, to church. And he, I think he was the first and before Sunday school, I'd go over and knock on the door and, um, and then through that, you know, like your, your whole family got kind of connected to us in the church. And so it's, it's cool. It um, was, uh, I was four when that happened. So like 32 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Man, yeah. don't yeah. say that. <laughs> We're old. Um, did, so you invited her brother, but not Jennifer herself? Well, yeah. Because she was four. I think I was six or I, a year or two older. Oh, that's right. You're older than us. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. So that that was why. I, I don't know. We eventually did. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, Jennifer, you have you have quite the story. Um, and a lot of things to, to talk about, but something that's, you know, that, that you've been very passionate about is the black lives matter. Um, because, and not in, in conversations with you, you know, in knowing you, it's not like it's some political agenda. That's not at all what your heart is. Um, but it's because you, like you, you have, lived or you're a part of that community you've you've seen a lot you're a white woman um and uh a single a single mother of of three three boys of color um and you've been a part of that community and so what like what 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 are you what are you feeling right now and um what are some of the passions the frustrations the struggles that you've seen and that you've observed um that has made you so impassioned um, about black lives? Well, some of the things that um, have uh, really played a big role in my, um, in my heart is uh, really the justice system and um, systemic racism. Um, I have talked a lot about a young man named Khalif Browder who was um 16 years old, lived in New York and accused of stealing a backpack, um, which he didn't. And he was sent to Rikers Island for three years without a conviction or even a trial. And they kept telling him, hey, you can take this plea deal or we can take it to trial. And he kept telling him, I'm not taking your plea deal because, you know, I I didn't do it, you know. And um, he sat there for three years waiting for a trial where they kept putting off his... um, putting it off and making excuses, you know, the DA is on vacation or the DA can't do it or, you know, we need a new attorney for you. Um, the judge, we need a new judge and just all kind of things. And, you know, two out of those three years, he was spent in um, solitary confinement and where he was beaten and tortured and starved. And, you know, even when he wasn't in solitary confinement, he was, um, you know, beaten and things like that. And, um, you know, um, he kept fighting and, you know, and all they had to really do was go find the victim and the victim could have told him, Hey, you know, this guy didn't do it. But the victim also kept changing his story, changed it like three times. And, you know, just one day, like three years later, they woke him up in the middle of the night and said, Hey, you're free to go and let him go with no conviction, no charges, nothing. And, um, he really stood up for his innocence and, you know, he, he uh, maintained that and he had that courage to say, you know, I'm not going to take your plea deal. And it's crazy because they're they're constantly, you know, um, taunting people with these plea deals. And there's so many other people that are being taunted with these plea deals who either didn't do it or, you know, could have gotten a lesser, you know, charge or, you know, conviction. And um, these things are, you know, hanging in their in their criminal in, in their you know criminal backgrounds and um it's just not fair. 
and you know Khalif um he uh really was trying to change his life when he got out and um he just struggled with so much PTSD so much um trauma and it was um it just took a toll on him and he ended up just taking his own life um and you know that's he's not the only one that this has happened to and there's tons of people um Brian Banks um you know the the exonerated five which you know was the um central park five that um you know were cleared of their charges and you know yeah. one of them he stayed in prison for 12 years because he maintained his innocence but the you know the other four you know they took this this plea deal you know when they didn't even do it <laughs> and um so you know things like that and it, what scares me is like you know i could sit here and i could tell my boys you know go to school get your education you know when you grow up you know get a go to college you know find the woman of your dreams and marry her and you know make a life and you know and i could tell them to do all these things but it scares me because one day that uh, they can do these things but it might not matter because of the color of their skin you know um it's just like um so many instances where people have been being murdered by because of police brutality it's like you know the police shooting these people it doesn't even it it, it doesn't even need to you know result in that mm -hmm. like you know um and it, i mean i just feel like there's other ways to go about it um you know um it's i don't know it's just it's just crazy and like um so now i'm going to school to um become a criminal justice reform advocate because I want to a learn more about mm. the plea deal system. And I also want to advocate for people who are being wrongfully convicted, you know, mm. uh, especially people of color and people in the recovery world that are being criminalized because of, you know, drugs and yeah. things like that. So. Wow. <clears throat> so you talked about your, uh, your kids. Some you've got three kids all, uh, People color. Um, How old are they? Jaden will be 13 in, what, two weeks? Jeremiah is four, and Jackson is two. You have a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a 13-year-old? Yes. How, yeah. how are you not asleep right now? She's <laughs> super well made, man. That's, in, that's incredible. Um, yeah, like, how how does that, on a on a personal level, you, you've, you've talked a lot about... Um, already some of the um systemic injustice in our in our society and you know that's in my eyes real to anyone who just has eyes to see it it's there but um like how do you then talk to especially your just about teenage kid about like what what life might throw at him? Like, have you, have you ever had to have any of these conversations yet? Or, um, or are you scared to like what, what's going through your mind as you're raising a kid who, you know, might have a harder time facing life than, um, you or I just because of the color of our skin. So, um, really the only person that I'm really trying to teach about these things is Jaden because he's you know at that yeah. age and um really what I'm doing is try just trying to watch documentaries it was crazy because when I started the central the um central park five documentary a couple weeks ago I really hesitated on watching it and like I ended up falling asleep and um I I soon watched it after that um the whole thing and I woke up and it was like 2 30 in the morning and I looked over and Jaden's still asleep or still awake and i'm like what are you doing awake still go to sleep and she's like i just got finished watching this documentary here mm. you know and um she stayed up till two watching the whole thing the whole thing and oh, like i God. was so surprised it's like really long. <laughs> an almost teenager like and like wow um so really i'm just um i'm trying to teach him on things like of that and i'm trying to teach him you know on um um like documentaries and the things that I'm learning in school. I just finished a sociology class, which was um, a big help for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, one thing I'd like to mention is one time we were at a, a march here in St. John's. It was, it's been a couple months 
And um, a man asked the crowd, um, have you ever went into a store and decided you didn't want anything and walked out? And did you feel like that the people behind the counter thought you were stealing? And Jaden was only like one out of 10 people to raise his hands. And that really like hit me hard. Like, why? You know, um, I've never, I've, I, I have felt like that, but I've never really felt like that. You know what I mean? And I can't, the hardest part for me is I can't um, sit here. I can't tell you that I understand how he feels, I, you know? I can't even, like, I, I've never really thought about that specifically. I I do that all the dang time because I, I'm cheap. And so I'll go into a store intending to buy something and then I'll see it and I'll be like, nah, I don't want to spend three bucks and I'll, I'll turn around and walk out. I do that all the time and never once have I even thought about the, the greeter at Walmart or any of the checkers like eyeing me and thinking he just came in and now he's leaving. And, and I walk fast because I've got mm-hmm. giant like praying mantis legs. And so... Um, well, I bet uh, never once have you been confronted about it. No, either. no. I like speed walk into a store and then I speed walk out of the store a few minutes later and no one says boo. They don't. I'm, I'm, I'm white <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm, well, I'm not like well-dressed, but my clothes are clean. I mm. like clean-ish. I mean, I haven't wa- washed these jeans in like two or three weeks. So that's, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's something pretty, pretty shocking and something that, that, that's one specific thing that I don't think is ever going to leave him or at least for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause even if, even if systemic issues get better, like once you start feeling like you're being watched you kind of always feel like you're being watched, right? Yeah. And it's hard because also because like when he goes somewhere, you know, I don't really like him to go by himself. Like I let him take walks through the neighborhood and things like that. And, but I want to make sure he's with a friend and he usually goes with our neighbor. And, um, I just remember like right after the death of George Floyd, um, there had been an instance where they, him and his friend walked somewhere. I think it was to the store, and only Jaden came back and like, I was terrified. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, where, where is your friend at? Like, you guys don't ever leave anybody behind, you know? I want you guys to leave with each other and come back with each other, you know? And it, it just terrified me. And like, mm. you know, in another instance, like he told me he was going to go to the park, which, you know, I can trust him. He's very responsible, but he didn't go to the park with the person he said he was going to go with. And... I later seen him walking down the street to the store and um, with another friend. And I'm like, no, no, no. And, you know, and and this kid that he was with was Hispanic. So I pulled over really fast, like angrily. I was I was mad. (laughs) And I'm like, looked at him both. I said, this applies to you, too. And I'm like, you have to tell me where you're going, where you're going to be at. And like, you know, and I've I've never right then I I didn't feel I've never I don't think I've ever felt that much fear ever. Mm -hmm. And I've been through a lot and um luckily with Jaden um he knows when I mean business and he 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 listens very well so yeah uh, wow and um you know um I've taken him down to um Black Lives Matter protests and just you know um people just so he can see firsthand what's going on you know I've, I've never put him in harm's way down there or anything like that I've always made sure we were close to our car and you know, that we were, you know, um, able to jump in a car if we need to really fast and get out of there. Um, so, you know, and like, you know, I've taken them down there and, um, I've never seen so many people just crowd around him and love him and take them, take him under their wings the way that I seen when I took him down to a protest, like people just like especially um black men strong black men like um they just you know they hey young man you got a nice outfit you look really nice and you could tell in my son's eyes that like it boosted his confidence and he felt really good and like you know he's had a um hard time with his confidence and um 
you know, feeling good about himself. And, um, I think that stems a lot from me. Um, but, um, you know, you can, I can tell that since he's, um, since that's happened, his confidence levels have gone up, you know? And like, um, he doesn't really go with me to marches anymore because he doesn't want to, (laughs) you know, I don't want to walk and, but you know, the ones that I have let him participate in, he's, um, really enjoyed. That's something, um, something in thinking about Jennifer, your words and you telling about that experience with Jaden being loved in that moment, you know, or valued, maybe valued is the better word. Um, my, my wife has shared recently with me saying that in, in lots of conversations she had, she says, there's this longing to belong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, especially with minority groups, uh, whether they be, you know, ethnic minority groups or, or gender or, um, whatever groups they there might be there's this longing to belong and this even like goes back to i think like gangs i um you know jennifer we grew up here in north portland you know in the the 90s 80s and 90s you know when gang activity was was rampant and and we were kind of the um the central location for gang activity but at the heart of that it's not this it's not this bent on violence and destruction, but it's really this desire to belong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so in a society in which people feel as if they don't belong, whether that's true or not, you know, that perception of like, wow, I, I don't belong because I look different than the majority of people or I act different, you know, or I'm not, I, and you, I mean, you mentioned sociology. I think that that class, you know, that whole subject is really interesting. You know how how societies function and evolve. You know, and um, and what things become important. Um, but at the, I think at the core, like we really long for that belonging. Mm-hmm. And you know, shame on shame on us who've never. I I can't. I can't think of many times in my life where I've not felt like I have belonged. I've always, I've always been, and some of that's personality. Some of that's just kind of privilege and the fact of, you know, of the family that I was born into. And, um, and so I can't, I can't imagine, but shame on me for not, not go like being more aware of that, you know, and, and being more in- inclusive and, you know, giving other people that, that sense of, that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, that's powerful. So I thought that I have, like, there is, there's a lot of emotions right now. Um, and it's easy for us to look at, like look at the protests, look at the Black Lives Matter movement. We can look at the organization and we could go, wow, you know, there's a lot of from from the media, it looks like there's just a lot of anger and a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Um but for for you talk talk about that a little bit. Um because it's not those are those are real emotions that I I mean you've expressed that you've felt that but it doesn't seem like that those are the primary motivators for you. And like knowing you, there's, there's a compassion that you, that you have. There's a justice that, that cry for justice. That's not motivated. You're not just some angry person, you know, like rah, 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 you know, like <laughs> let's, let's kill our society, you know? Um, but you're after like real change and you're willing to, cross the lines you're willing to have conversations with anybody and everybody um and that's something i i really appreciate about about you um but what are what are some of those other maybe some of those other emotions that are kind of sustaining sustaining you or keeping you going or challenging you and you mentioned going to school you know or or um you know yeah pursuing pursuing a degree and and letting these things kind of alter your, your life's trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's that been like? So um, I'll just start out with saying that I earned this scholarship for 
Arizona State University online just by driving for Uber Eats. Mm. You know, I reached a certain amount of rides, so I got the scholarship, and I figured, you know, we're in this um, big, you know, turmoil with, um, you know, racial issues, and, you know, another factor was my kids were having to do online schooling, and I'm like, hey, you know, I may be putting a little bit too much on my plate, but I think this is actually the best time for me to pursue this and go back to school. Um, So, like... I felt a lot of sadness um, mm. since May. Um, I felt a lot of sadness a lot around these issues, you know, and I've I've been marching um, because of this since 2016. I started with Teresa, Teresa Rayford mm. um, in 2016, and she has put on some of the greatest, you know, marches and events. Um, and I just, she's one of the greatest people I've ever met, and I just love being around her, and she... Um, you know, is really trying to make a difference. She is making a difference in our community. Um, but, um, you know, what really saddens me is like, when we say black lives matter, we don't mean that all, it doesn't mean that all lives don't matter. We right. know that we know all lives matter, you know? Um, but you know, people forget why we have to say black lives matter. That's what hurts me. People forget why we're here in the first place. People also forget that we shouldn't be here. Um, having to say Black Lives Matter, you know. So me as a person, um, as a as a white woman, I try to put myself in you know other people's shoes and think you know like, you know, what if it was me and we had to have some White Lives Matter movement or something like that? But I will never ever probably ever know how that feels to have a movement, you know. And um, we shouldn't even be sitting here you're, debating it in the first place. Need one? Yeah, and like like. Like I said, we can walk in a store and walk out with no issue. Yeah. We don't need a movement. Yeah. Well, like, you know, and um, people say, oh, quit being mad about slavery. That was so long ago. And like, yeah, I mean, slavery was a long time ago, but you can't tell somebody, um, a person of color, how to feel about slavery. Um, yeah. And then, you know, slavery may have been abolished, but then what did we have next? We had segregation, which in fact still exists to this day. Yeah. And um, the last time you and I sat down, Josh, um, I really started looking into that a little bit more, you know, and, and if you really sit down and think about it, segregation still exists in right. in North Portland. Like what we talked about, you know, like especially in our schools, you know, right. like aster is what predominantly white yeah. then you go down here to rosa parks and it's predominantly black right and then you go to my son's school at they george like a mile apart it's predominantly kids it's a mixed it's it's mixed yeah um, but it's predominantly kids who are coming from low-income families and um that's you know and then segregation like in the housing like you yeah. know you putting all these people in like the new columbia or you're moving them making a move out out here you know i've had so many friends that i grew up here with in st john's that had to move out of here because i can't afford it you know and a lot of people of my friends of color you know and um and you know it's just it's just a it's a reoccurring cycle it's just new things you know we have segregation which it still exists and then it and now we have police for fighting police brutality you know and it's like um um it's hard um like you know, I just, I don't, I don't think that we need to completely get rid of our police. I believe that we need our police. Um, but I feel like they need to have better accountability for one and they need to have better training. Um, it shouldn't be fair for a hairstylist to have to do four years of college and a police officer only has to do a minimal amount, you know, and, um, like, especially in the like mental health world like Mm -hmm. that i don't feel like a lot of them really know how to deal with um mental health issues um and i'm really big on mental health and psychology as well um it's some of my favorite subjects um i love the brain and like you know what if there was a, a mentally ill person of color that was having a mental breakdown like you know there's no resources for those cops to call to come and help them you know dissolve the situation yeah you know so uh, it's, it just seems like a lot of them are pulling out their guns and shooting and boom you know but um one thing also that i've always thought about like why aren't these cops looking at what's going on here and not understanding hey we we can't be doing this 
you know, and you know, the, the cop that stood on George Floyd's neck, like, you know, you guys released him. Why? If that was a black man, he'd still be in there. It doesn't matter, you know, and they're, they took away the charge of murder, you know, in the first degree. And I think he's what got a second degree murder now. And it's like, in my opinion, I feel like he should be treated the same way George Floyd was. And it's really hard to think, you know, that one day that could be one of my kids sitting on the ground calling out for me. And, you know, and I just hope that there's going to be, there would be somebody around that would say, Hey, I need to help this kid or, you know, where's his mother at? And, you know, I just, I just take into perspective all things like eventually I, I hope it doesn't and I pray it doesn't, but I have to, you know, be on, on that. Um, and, and just realize that it can in fact happen to one of my kids one day. I think that emotion going back, that emotion of sadness that you were talking about, I think that that's lost like the, um, because this has become so emotionally fueled, it's it's fear and anger are the two that rise to the top, and the sadness, which I, I think is like that's that the lamenting, the grief, that gets lost in all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, yeah, we we all should be really sad um, that the things that have happened should affect us on that deep, sad level. But instead, like we, I, what I'm seeing and observing is that like, we quickly have like, we've surpassed, like we've jumped, we've, we've just escalated, you know, we haven't allowed room for that, that sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that seems to be, Oh, that, that seems to be, I I think where, where change of heart can, can happen. Um, I think something I've, maybe you could, you know, attest to this, but in the black community, there's a ton of sadness that has gone unnoticed. And so then what happened, like, then it's like, Hey, we've been trying to say something we've, we've been incredibly sad. Nobody's listening or mm-hmm. nobody's seeing us, or at least we like, that's the perception at the very least. And that brings me to, a um, to, you know, some certain, um, instances that I've had, like so a couple of my black friends, I've asked them, you know, um, do you ever feel like change is going to happen? And they're like, well, some change has happened, but I don't think I'm ever going to see, we're ever going to see the change that, needs to happen in my lifetime and it's like that's what really makes me sad yeah <laughs> but then when going to the protests you know and seeing that that picture of everybody laying on the bridge and everybody like black white you know um muslim we got you know just yeah. all kinds of different people there like and and in in most you know um uh protests like there's a lot of, there may be some violence and some destruction, of course, but there's also a lot of unity. And to really understand what I'm saying, you're, you'd have to go down and see it for yourself. But um, that's a lot of what I've seen is unity. And mm. Mm. that's what has um, made me hopeful and to drown out some of that sadness and fear. Um, so, you know, I've met... I've met some really good people down there that are really, you know, for the movement and that, you know, want to network and what can we do to help and, you know, what, you know, so it's not just like, I mean, people are angry, of course, but it's not just all destruction and violence and hurting people and, you know, because that's, uh, that's not why I go down there. I know that. I'll tell you that right now. Um yeah, I don't you, have it in me to destroy were, anything. Yeah, you were sharing before we started recording, you were sharing a bit um about a conversation that you had with a guy wearing a sign down there like a, a street corner evangelist. Um uh, talk about that for a second. So, yeah, one night when I was there, there was a a man there he was holding a sign and it, you know, was talking about repenting and it had Bible verses and it had you know, talked about God and Jesus and I'm like so I just, uh, I felt like, hey, I want to go have a 
good conversation conversation with this man like and not a well you're doing this and you're doing that and not pointing the finger and telling him what he's doing wrong or if he's doing anything wrong i didn't feel like he was doing anything wrong and so i just went up and told him i said do you you know i asked him i said do you believe that everybody down here doesn't believe in god and Mm-hmm. do you believe that everybody down here doesn't Gosh. believe in repentance i said and because i then i told him i was like um i told him i was like i was born in the i was raised in the church i said i believe in god um i come from a very good church um i believe in repentance which i have done a lot um i said um so i was like i don't want you to assume that everybody down here is not you know doesn't know know the lord and um you know I had like, there was like three or four angry protesters that came up and was like, just, you know, throwing slurs at him and saying, just saying off the wall things that, you know, I don't even know if, if it's true or not. So, um, and it was just crazy because it, it really, uh, felt like it was, um, the story in the Bible where they were throwing stones at Jesus Mm. and mocking him. And, um, and here I was just trying to protect this man. Um, because yeah. I didn't want anybody to hurt him because I feel like, you know, everybody has the right to protest the way that they want to if mm. it's not violent or, you know, destructive. You know, we've had Proud Boys in the crowd with us that were protesting because they felt like our rights were being taken away, mm. our freedom of speech and gun rights and things like that. So, you know, we've had uh, members of the NRA down in these protests protesting their own, you know, um, their own for their own reasons, and you know it's basically because they felt like we were getting our rights taken away from using our voice, you know, using our First Amendment right. Um, and it's crazy because what I have learned, like I've never really looked into it, and I've been in a lot of legal trouble in my you know teenage years. Um, it's crazy because if you don't know your rights, they're not going to work for you, mm. and. Um, so I've really started trying to, a good friend of mine named Eva, um, she, she told me that and like, it, it won't stop replaying in my head. (laughs) Like, so I've been uh, researching, you know, rights and a lot of those cops down there hate that we know our rights, you know, um, I won't say a lot, but there's, there's some of them down there that hate that we know our rights, you know, um, especially me, I try to try to use my voice, you know, um. I, you know, um, I've never done anything wrong to a cop or thrown anything or anything like that. And I don't plan on it um, because I just don't feel like that's the right, right way to go about things. And that's not going to bring us change. Um, so um, I just, yeah, trying to, you know, learn my rights. And um, with protesting, you know, everybody has a right to be down there to protest the way they want. If if they're doing it the right way, yeah. basically. So, yeah, yeah, that's, um, gosh, that's all really good stuff. Um, so you were talking before about, um, talking with a, a couple of black men and asking them, like, do you think, uh, change is coming? And, And they said, I don't think it's coming in our lifetime. Um, what? I don't know if I'm if I'm wondering what kind of change ultimately you hope you'll see in society or um, or maybe uh, what sort of changes you'd like to see in the in the short term and the long term like what um, when when you go downtown or when you go to even downtown St. John's when you when you take your boy downtown um, what kind of impact on society are you hoping for ultimately? Ultimately, like I said, my uh, main focus really has been on systemic uh, racism and uh, segregation. So um, systemic racism has really, um, uh, with Khalif Browder, um, I've never met the kid a a day in my life. And um, unfortunately I'll never be able to, but um, just after watching that, you know, like, um, systemic racism in the justice system has held a a place in my heart ever since I watched that, um, the documentary on Khalif on Netflix. And, um, 
Josh knows, like, I've been wanting to be a nurse since I was, like, in kindergarten. And, like, after watching the Khalif Browder story, it's like, no, you know, I feel like God needs me in a different area in this, you know, in in this, in, you know, in the issues of this country. So, um, that's why I decided, like, I feel like that's my purpose, you know. Um, I don't really want to be a lawyer i don't want to be an attorney or anything like that i just want to go and advocate and help people yeah. and um try to see where i can make these changes in the justice uh, justice system that i want to see you know um especially around the plea deal system um i in my opinion and i could be wrong but i feel like the justice system and the government and all of it was brought up by white men for white men and Honestly, I feel like it's time. Um, of course, we need the justice system. We need our prisons for certain things. But, you know, um, you can also look into the um, school to prison pipeline um, and see what I'm see how I'm feeling. And like um, we need we need our prisons, of course, for certain reasons, like I said. But um, it just it needs to be like broken down and redone. Uh, you know, just imagine yeah. how long ago the justice system was, you know, brought up. You know, and yeah, I I had a I've got a, a good friend who's an older white man um, who was incarcerated for a while, and his his story it's not of not of race, but he's like, no, I was targeted, and mm-hmm. um, and I was set up. It was like a sting operation that he, um, and so it, it's it just kind of like realizes, wow, there's 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 problems Mm -hmm. you know and um i'm not gonna say that racism is the problem but it um it's definitely an opportunity you know like where it it's targeted it's an easier target you know for um for some people and um and it is it's problematic and and there is things that you know need to be need to be reformed and redone and um a lot of that i think is is education mm-hmm. um and just knowing that the 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 thing that you know the, this whole conversation that that is just stuck with me again is our defensiveness um you know like david that question that you ask and you know, jennifer that like when when you ask the question, you know, like, do you really think change is going to happen? And there's the responses. Oh no, not in my lifetime. What the response that I've often heard is like, immediately my defenses go up and like, Oh, well, we've had a black president, you know, and you know, there's lots of rich black people. And, and so the like defensiveness just goes up and we start to like, just, uh, uh, try to shoot holes in the argument instead of in, instead our response should be like wow mm-hmm. that and it should make us sad yeah um and and again you know like yes we've had a, a black president you know and so that i've talked to you know some people of color who like and when that happened like tears would roll down on like um on grand grandmother's faces, you know, like I've, I've heard that and, and how exciting and happy that was. And that was a, you know, a, a great moment for the black community. Um, but we can't just use that as, yeah. you know, as, as patronizing, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Here, here's your, your one person, you know, that, um, you, you did it, you know, and, and instead just acknowledge, we have to acknowledge the, the sadness and like the real emotion, the real thing that people are, are feeling and it feels out of reach for so many. And, um, and rather than being defensive and coming down on it, that like, I love that in, you know, that encounter with you down in the protest with the other protester with that evangelist, you know, like you weren't defensive like the others were, you know, like some mm-hmm. of the other protesters are coming in there, you know, arguing back and forth, that becomes futile. Yeah. But when you remove that defensiveness, when you like have a real conversation, um, and then you, you actually, like you started defending him, you know, uh, which is this backwards upside down, you know, thing that's like, wait, no, that's not supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but when we can see each other as as fellow humans um and we can learn to be sad with one another um rather than letting the defensiveness rise to the occasion and, and our insecurities i think that's another thing that's at the heart of it is like we're all as humans i think we're all super insecure mm-hmm. um and that gets elevated and megaphone you know when we have a, a cause to get behind you know like the defensiveness comes up full time full board and um you know. and i just i just feel like they think that they feel like change isn't coming because like um with my research and what i've been trying to teach myself is there's it's not just police brutality and yeah. segregation and things like that it's there's so many more it's it's such i we could sit here it would probably take us weeks to talk about the, the issues like yeah. you know systemic racism racism um there then there's what you know police brutality and uh, yeah. you know there's redlining and you know there's issues in in equity and you right. know like housing and mortgages for people of color like they're you know there's what is it redlining is um when their you know their mortgages or right you know would be more than a person a white person and and it's it's and and then there's you know issues in schools um right. you know racism is, issues in schools and it's just there's so many issues that need to be um you know changed and i really feel like that's why friends of mine don't think that you know change is coming and i i was i was at first was like really are you kidding me you don't think change is coming and i'm like then i had to really sit down and think like okay this is why they feel that way you know this is why and you know and it's crazy because i when this whole thing with george floyd happened um I remember having a conversation at dinner time with my mom and I was really letting it take a toll on me and like mm-hmm. I was emotionally drained um by it and like you know trying to explain to people why black lives matter and like I exhausted myself and like I was having this conversation with my mom and I just broke down crying and I'm like I can't believe in 2020 we're still here. You know, but it's been 400 some years that we've been that people of color have been dealing with this and like why can't i mean it's i i don't i i honestly personally don't know what it's gonna take um i just know that i can make changes in my own life um and and um educate myself which i've been trying to do um and use my voice even you know um i'm trying to you know see other people's perspectives that say all lives matter and like like i said earlier you know it's not that all lives don't matter. We get that. We know that all lives matter. We're not saying that, you know, we're just saying that, um, black lives matter have black lives have never really mattered in this country. And people forget one, why we're here in the first place. And we shouldn't have to be saying it, you know, we shouldn't have to be saying black lives matter, you know? So, um, I, it, that's what hurts me the most is people forget about these things. How do you not know about what has happened in this country? You know, go, you know, and I've I've had this conversation legislatively, you know, the laws, um, I think of, you know, those things, segregation, I think of, you know, like the Jim Crow laws, um, like there there is an equality theoretically on a like a legislative level, you know, like um, you can't be you can't be sent to prison because you're black, you know, or you can't not live in this neighborhood because you're black, mm-hmm. like illegally, you know, like it, and that used to be the case. Yeah. Um, but, le- but then there's, there's so much other things though, you know, like, Oh, you're, I, 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 we could, yeah. I just think of the, you know, the drug, um, the drugs, uh, was it meth and crack, you know, like mm-hmm. how, they're the same drug, but different forms and how one affects the black community more and the other affects the white community more and how there's different, um, different sentencing for those things, you know, like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I can't put you in prison because you're black, but here's, you know, here's something that, you know, the black community is more prevalent in that. And so we're going to attack that. Um, and so we like, there's lots of things that we could 
talk about and, and kind of parse. But what I see is that there's a, it's a worldview thinking, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the perceptions it's on a sociological level, you know, that, that, that's what needs to change. Um, there are some, I think probably some work to do still legislatively, but it's not like it was in the sixties when black people couldn't vote and they were, you know, arguing for the right to vote, you know, like that was David going back to your question about when is what change, what exact change needs to happen. And it seems to be, it's hard to like pinpoint like, Hey, yeah, we need this law passed, you know, or like Mm -hmm. we need to be able to vote instead. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a worldview that has to change, um, which is generational and worldviews are, they don't really change. And, and so it's this, the education is a huge mm-hmm. component, you know. Of, it at least takes a long time to change a worldview. And well, a generationally, it's really right. hard to change our own worldview. Yeah. But then when you pass it on to the next generation, it becomes. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know what your experience has been. Mine, um, I mean, I'm a pastor, so it like, obviously this has been my experience, but it's been, um, it's been especially hard to convince um, Christians, white Christians, that there's a problem. I'm not, don't hear um, me and be like, oh, not all white Christians. I'm just saying in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's been hard to convince uh, white Christians that there is a problem um, with racism in the country, but also in the church. And, um, and I've thought a lot about this and I'm like, this, this is, uh, this is nothing new. Like Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King famously said, uh, Sunday morning's the most segregated, uh, hour in America. And, and there's like the, these conversations have been happening for a long time, but it's also pretty apparent that, um, it's hard to accept something if you're a person who has a lot of power in society or in a culture. It's hard to accept that um, that culture might be problematic. And white Christians in general have had it pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I... I think about societal repentance and, and I think about how like um, we don't like white Christians don't often like to, to repent on behalf of the racism of, of the church in general. But at the same time, like it's, it's the acknowledgement that there's, there's been a problem when we've benefited from it. Um, and I was just wondering have you had experience with Christians who've like come at you pretty forcefully um, for for your support of Black Lives Matter? Have you have you seen that, or is it um, is it just me? No, I've had that with my own family members. <laughs> oh, sure. So, um, who are Christians? Um, yeah. Um, that one has been really tough for me and, um, yeah, (laughs) I've had people, I mean, it's, it's hard because I've had people in my family come and accuse me of things without them even coming and asking me about it, you know, and we've talked back and forth over a text message and it's really hard to really feel emotions over a text message text message so they can't really understand how i'm feeling you know because we're just texting each other you know like let's sit down and have dinner or something and we can talk you know and but it's just i don't even know how to explain it (laughs) yeah so david something i thought about is like sins of omission versus sins of commission and we can Uh we can say and this is something I've received a lot of, you know, like, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, I'm not a racist. And we, we then equate racism with 
with sins of commission of things like I have done this against you know, somebody because of the color of the skin. Mm-hmm. But sins of omission is we haven't done something that we ought to do. Um, and so we've, we've been too silent and it, that's a little bit harder to, it's harder to pinpoint, you know? And, and then we're not trying to make it personal either. Like, I'm not trying to say, David, because you're a white Christian, you're a bad person. You know, like that is, that's not the narrative, but Instead of saying like, I might be a bad person, but that's not why. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're all bad persons. We're all sitters. We need to all, we're all, uh, um, oh, what was the, we were talking about, um, we were talking about addiction earlier before we started recording. Um, powerless. We're all powerless, you know, like we're, yeah, we're all in this world. We all have our problems and our sins. They're just, different in, in each of us. Um, but yeah, and I don't know, I, I don't know, trying to convince people seems futile. Like David, you could try to convince me of something and I'm stubborn. You're not going to do it. Um, and I think that happens a lot too, because, you know, it seems like every election year, something, yeah. things like this start happening, you know, and then, sure. We just say, oh, screw it and sweep it under the rug and till the next time, you know, and I just think that this time that people are tired of seeing it swept under the rug and they're really wanting to um, get that change that it has been, we've been needing in this country for so bad, so long. Um, And it doesn't make it easier when we have two piece of crap candidates for president, Um, (laughs) you know, like, you know the way Trump talks and like just some of the things that come out of his mouth are like, I don't know where he gets it from, you know, and I've had people tell me, you know, you guys, you should, uh, you have to look at his policy policies and not the person that he is, you know, and I've done that and I've prayed and I, you Mm -hmm. know, like, Mm -hmm. and I've prayed about it. Like help me pause for a minute. (laughs) You just said you, you've done that. Like we, Oh man, we, that's so powerful and you're not going to get that unless you sit down and listen to you, you know, and, and that's what we just jump to the conclusion that like, Oh, well, I'm just going to make assumptions about you. I'm going to make assumptions that you actually haven't done that. Mm-hmm. But when I actually ask you and listen to you, I realize, Oh, you have actually listened and you've tried, you know, and you've, you've looked at the policies, mm-hmm. um, which that's powerful. And then we, you know, like we have Biden over here who has been on like news articles from back in the day that, you know, saying racist things. And like he was for the crime bill of 1994, which, um, Obama, um, eventually like overturned. I can't remember what, what it was called. Um, but I just learned about it in sociology and, you know, and it's like, I don't know to me, you know, they're both racist. Um, they're both mean people. (laughs) Um, and it's like, uh, in this country, why do we have to, why are we having to choose between these two people? Mm. (laughs) You know? And like, I don't know. It's yeah. Mm. All of politics and, and just, you know, in a, we're in a black lives matter movement. We're in a election year. We're in a, you know, like, Yeah. It's sad (laughs) too how, like we were talking earlier also about how politicized it becomes, Mm -hmm. you know, like by saying, yes, I, I value black lives. Um, how like, man, how we can, then you are also (laughs) Marxist, uh, a a Marxist and you also are for abortion and you're also a Democrat. Let me, um, like, like I, I hear one thing, and I've now assumed seven things. things. Let me tell you something about this whole abortion thing, okay? Um, With with my youngest son, Jackson, um, I had a really hard time. You know, I had to accept that his dad would never be there um, and that it would be just me. Um, I had got some threats from his dad that if I didn't get rid of him, that this would happen, you know, and... I was actually at an abortion clinic. I was getting ready to get rid of him because here I am with 
um, Jeremiah, who had just turned one, like, I was like, I can't do two under two on my own. Right. Like, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to have the energy. I'm not going to have the patience. I can't do it. And like, and then I ended up calling my mom and like, and she was like, no, you can't do this. And I didn't, I texted her and she's like, you can't do this. And like, don't do it. And like, so I really just like, I was like, I have to accept this. I can't, I can't do this to my child. And, um, and like, it was crazy because the day he was born, um, I was so scared and nervous, um, you know, cause I wasn't used to this all the way being a single parent. Um, but he, Jackson had grabbed me by my finger and look, and as soon as they laid him on me, he grabbed me by my finger and looked me in my eyes. And it was like, mom, you know, this, we, we're going to make it like, it's going to be okay. And somehow God keep, God has kept supplying me with this energy and you know it's every day is not a good day but he keeps supplying me with these things that i need to get through my days um so with like abortion um i just i i mean i'm not for it and i'm not against it um i also feel like you know i don't i i feel like um i can't judge anybody who has had an abortion i can't tell them what to do with their lives um, I also feel like um, people say that, oh, it's murder and it's a sin. Okay, yeah, very well could be. But it's also a sin for me to sit here and judge and tell you what to do with your life. Isn't it? Isn't isn't judging just as much of a sin as, as you know, whatever they call it, murder or whatever? And, um, you know, I had, I've had a conversation with somebody not too long ago, and it's like, how many people do you really feel like goes to an abortion clinic at nine months pregnant and says, Hey, take this baby out of me and yeah. kill it. Yeah. I don't feel like that happens at all, to be honest with you. And like, but my whole stance on a, on this abortion back and forth crap, I just, I just, I, I try to worry about what I'm doing in my own life and yeah. not what worry about what everybody else is doing with their lives. And all I can do is like, like with the evangelistic that was downtown, like, you know, I, yeah. I I have always believed that, you know, um, it's not okay for us to push our religion on people. I've always felt that way. I felt like it was best to sit back and pray for people who don't believe yeah. instead of cramming it down somebody's throat, you know? Um, so, like, I don't want to go push that narrative on people and, you know, tell people what to do, you know? Yeah. So Yeah, they, I mean, murder is horrific and ab abortion is tragic, like, through and through. But Jesus tells us, he says, if you've looked at your brother or sister with hatred, mm. then you are a murderer. Um, and we we forget that, you know, like how how much hatred right now is in the world. It it's it's numbing, and that was what Jesus spoke out against. And like I could never, I could never go do it. I could never have an abortion, but I can't. I can't, I mean, there's, there's people have different lives. We all live yeah. different lives. You know, how do you, there could be very good reasons for certain people having abortions, you know, and um, people are sitting here pointing their fingers at Planned Parenthood, but Planned Parenthood also has good programs for people, Yeah. you know? So, I mean, I don't, I don't really care for abortion. I don't like it. I'd rather yeah. people like do adoption or whatever, but, but I can't, I can't understand what people are going through if I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, it, we we talked about this on a recent um episode too, but like that that is one topic, and I think um, Black Lives Matter is starting to become one topic where people will latch on to the topic itself and use it as ammo mm. like in the church mm. and um and that that uh, that almost makes a discussion impossible and that almost makes good um uh theological work impossible it almost makes it impossible for us to really understand like what god's doing in the world um mm. uh impossible if we if we just have our defenses up all the time when we um when we get talking about a certain topic and so oh man it's so hard it is hard and it's hard because we have so many people who are closed-minded mm. i try to be open-minded like and um 
be, when this all started, I kept telling people, oh, you're wrong for your opinion for all lives matter. You're wrong. You're wrong. But now I'm trying to instead, like what I've learned from like the protests and things like that, I'm trying to instead like learn like, why is you, why is this your opinion? Like, yeah. I want to know what your perspective perspective is before I tell you I think you're wrong. You know what I mean? So yeah, instead of being fueled by anger or um, or fear, it's curiosity. Yeah, that you know, like I'm really interested in you and why you think that this is wrong, and I want to hear about that. I am um, very interested, and I very I love anybody who is open-minded about this stuff yeah like people who are closed-minded you could ne- you can never ever get through to them and like i ex- literally exhausted myself trying to explain this stuff and like yeah <laughs> that's good and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah so that challenge you know for us to again like going back to that other episode david with jim and jim um be unusually interested in each other if we could one thing, I think one thing that would change the world, man. I mean, Jesus would change the world, of course. Um, but I think Jesus Jesus modeled this where he was unusually interested in others. Um, and our mission as a church is to love God, period, and love people, period. Mm-hmm. And that is being that means that you are unusually interested. <laughs> you don't want to use that like leverage them or throw ammo at them you know Mm -hmm. but you are really actually interested in them and even if they especially maybe if they have different viewpoints or different perspectives than you um, that should make us even more interested um, in each other yeah yeah Hmm. man this has been a this has been a really good hour um it's 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 hard to um, it's hard to live into um, uh, like the justice that Jesus calls us to because uh, everyone seems to always have their defenses up. But I'm so grateful for people like you, Jennifer, who who will um, who will not only um, jump into the fray but won't jump in in a posture of like um aggressiveness or pointedness but will will jump in and um and want to uh like like be uh fiercely convicted of your of your beliefs but also um uh willing to um, talk it out and hash it out with other people. And that's, I think, a really, really powerful thing. Yeah. So I'm grateful for this hour and I'm grateful for you sharing with us. Um, well, if uh, if people want to find you and follow you online, uh, are you on social media anywhere? Yes, I'm under Jennifer Lee Evans. Right on. On Facebook. Cool. And um, you can you can find us if you want to talk with us about this recent episode. No one ever has um, so far, but if you want to be the first... Uh, <laughs> we've been doing this you for can four also, years. I we've never actually said this, but you know, subscribe to the podcast because we're actually somewhat erratic. We don't have an episode. We we started out. We thought we'd come out, you know, on a weekly episode, you know, and it would we would premiere every Wednesday. I think is what we talked about. Yeah, and well, then, we did for a long time. Now our our uh, our mo now is to record like eight at a time. And then not do any for months and then record like two and then take a few more months off and then record 16. So it's, it's a, it's a very important schedule to us and we're, we're good at keeping it up like that. But it's, it's been fun. You know, I still like just a conversation with Jennifer, you know, like really, really amazing. And I feel so much just personally, I feel so much enriched, you know, and so much better um, because of, because of that. And so Jennifer, thank you. But like, I'm surprised, like there's never been an episode where like, Oh, we shouldn't have done that. You know, like every, I mean, we had Steven on one. (laughs) (laughs) Steven gets the most shout outs. Um, No, but it's, and then I, I keep hearing comments too. Like people actually listen to this. So thank you all who. Now, where can we find this at? (laughs) Yeah. You can find it at, on iTunes or Google play store. um, Yeah. Anywhere, anywhere you get your podcast, um, you can, you can find it. uh, Search for unsuccessful. Now, is this something that I could share on 
Yeah. yeah. Social we'll, media. We'll blast it out to all the social medias. Okay. Be tagged. We'll, we'll, cool. We'll get Cause it I, sure. I know some people that want to hear it and yeah. I have been looking for a, um, you know, a platform to use my voice and I've, I've been finding them. And, um, yeah. one thing I, I need to mention that I'm ex- excited about Khalif Browder's brother is one of my Facebook friends. Mm. And yeah. I recently reached out to him and asked him, I said, look, I know we're on separate sides of the country and you probably get this a lot from people. I was like, but let me let you know, I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I asked him, I said, can we, can, do you mind if I do an informational interview with you over, you know, like wow. zoom? And he, he agreed to it. So like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to reach out to him again soon to see when we can schedule that. Like, and cool. that's like, that's like wow. almost to my biggest dream of, you know, going to New York one day and meeting him and walking down Khalif Browder way, you know, and that's, Wow. Yeah, so and that's where my heart is at. Um, wow, that's cool. So I, I challenge anybody who um, doesn't think systemic racism exists, I challenge you to watch that story on Netflix, mm. and it's called Time. So Time, there you go. Uh, the Khalif Browder story. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jennifer, for being on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. I'm Josh. And we will see you next time. Bye.